your life. Welcome back to the Medtocracy podcast. In this week's episode, we will be unraveling a technology that has the potential to revolutionize healthcare. We are joined by Hitesh Mehta, co-founder of an Australian medtech company called Neutronics. Neutronics is building a continuous real-time molecular monitoring wearable device that will give clinicians the ability to predict early onset of chronic diseases and predict accurate drug admission types. This episode is a real insight into digital health, and as always, hope you enjoy. Hitesh, welcome to Metocracy. How's everything in Australia? Yeah, thanks for having me here, Zion. Uh, Australia is pretty good. We're starting to go into our autumn here at the moment, so weather's mm-hmm. becoming a bit colder, but otherwise things are returning to normal, slowly but surely. I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm glad we could set this up. I'm also deep into the Canadian winter, so man, I can definitely relate. Before we dive into your company, Neutromics, tell me how you made that shift from corporate tech to med tech, and how did, did it lead to your current mission of a disease-free world at Neutromics? Yeah, so look, um, my background was in, I originally studied computer science and, and commerce, but I always had a passion for helping people for having an impact in in the healthcare world. I originally wanted to actually study psychology, uh, but just, you know, it wasn't something that was available as a combination at the time with with IT. So I switched to IT and commerce. And I went into consulting, but I was always drawn to consulting in the space. So, you know, for the past 10, 15 years before I joined and started Neutromics with Peter, um, I was consulting in the healthcare and social welfare space. So it was always about having, uh, playing in a space where you know what you're delivering is going to have a real world impact for people who can't do it themselves. You know, this could be a new model of care. It could be a new service delivery efficiency. That just means that they get the assistance and support that they need for their healthcare issues faster. Um, It was any number of things. And when I was doing my MBA, I, I felt like I had grown to a sufficient degree and I was ready to you know, jump in and, and dive in far in a far greater capacity. You know, there's so many issues, so many problems in the healthcare world that you can work on, and I was really ready to have a bigger impact in the space. So that's what led me to wanting to found my own startup. And uh, along the way, I met uh, Peter, um, you know, who had a similar passion, and it just connected. I love how you and Peter really brought together your business background and your computer science background with his chemical engineering background to pursue this passion. Now, honing in on Neutromics, the mission is to revolutionize healthcare through continuous real-time molecular monitoring through your trademark CMM technology. First, I want you to explain for those who don't know, what is molecular targeting and how can it revolutionize healthcare? What people may be familiar with but don't recognize as molecular monitoring is, is what happens today, right? So you go into a doctor's office or you're in the hospital and they say, we need to do some blood work. We're going to take a vial of blood. We're going to send it into the lab and we're going to have it analyzed. So that is essentially you know, molecular monitoring. What they're doing is they're sending it off to check what are your glucose levels or what are your uh thyroid levels or what are your xyz levels they're basically looking at what are the molecules in the bloodstream and what are the quantities of those and the technology has been progressing slowly but surely to moving from you know sending it to the lab to having a lab on a bench now you can have point of care systems 
to having a portable point of care system like the glucometers when they first came out where you could actually take a finger prick, put it on the strip and have that analyzed on the spot in your glucometer. You know, at that time that was quite revolutionary. And then that eventually evolved for the diabetes space into a wearable. So you have continuous glucose monitors now where you can actually wear a CGM and it will monitor your glucose every five minutes or so uh, and give you that readout on the phone. And that's been revolutionary for, for people who suffer from type one diabetes. Um, and what our technology is uh, doing is actually saying, well, what if you wanted to measure anything other than glucose? How would you do that in a continuous wearable form factor? That's the power of our tech. Our tech allows you to start to look at continuous molecular monitoring just under the surface of the skin in real time. And it allows you to start expanding that beyond glucose to drugs, to other metabolites, to hormones, to proteins over time. Gotcha. And I like that you bring up the tech. So how does the tech work? I, from what I've read so far, it seems to be a wearable smart patch. Can you tell me now, like, how does the tech work? How do you actually get this information from a wearable device? Yeah, so where we are right now is we have a wearable smart patch integrated prototype system. Um, you can wear that. It will send the data to your mobile phone um, and, and give you the readouts. Um, our plan is mm -hmm. to expand that this year to also cover that into cloud connectivity uh, and starting to build out the APIs. So we can actually integrate this into other systems as well. Gotcha. Um, and, and the way it works is it, it uses uh, what's called microneedle technology to uh, in minimally invasively uh, sense in interstitial fluid. This is the same subcutaneous uh, space that the CGMs work in, uh, that we're working in as well. But what's unique is our technology is agnostic to the chemical reactivity of the target. We uh, can sense any target for that reason because we can make our sensors specific to those targets. So it's a great piece of tech that was originally invented in University of California, Santa Barbara uh, by a professor, Kevin Plaxco. And it's been well demonstrated and well published. And it's a fascinating story of how he even came about uh, going down this way. Hitesh, I love this. And for those listening who may not know what interstitial fluid is, it's basically extracellular fluid between cells where your molecules from the circulatory system are diffused into. So Hitesh, my question is, using the IF data, since it's usually delayed relative to blood data, blood data, like why do you guys believe that this is the right approach to quantifying molecular targeting? Great question. And I'm glad to see you've been doing your homework on, on the space as well, Zion. <laughs> so look, uh, one thing that, you know, just to expand on what you were saying, there's, there's a far greater volume of interstitial fluid in your body than there is blood, right? And it's what your cells are bathed in. So all the molecules that act at a cellular level, you know, typically will go through interstitial fluid to get to the cells, depending on the side and so forth. You know, you may have different variability in the concentrations. But essentially, the glucose is a perfect example. It transports through the blood barrier into interstitial fluid, and that's where the CGMs pick it up. And interstitial fluid is a very, very rich uh, biomatrix. It's just, it's been poorly understood and poorly studied, but the research is fast catching up and it's being recognized more and more as to the potential monitoring capabilities that you can get with interstitial fluid. The trouble has been that the technology wasn't ready. 
until recently, mm -hmm. to also be able to measure in interstitial fluid. To date, you know, the approach was you have to use a microdialysis approach to extract the fluid. You're diluting it at the same time, and then you're still sending it to the lab to have it analyzed by an assay. So, you know, when you compare that to today's infrastructure and to the standard, why not just do blood measurements? Where interstitial fluid starts to really come into its own is when you can actually build a wearable lab on the skin platform where you can actually sample in the interstitial fluid and measure at the same time in real time. And so that's the technology that, that we have. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Plaxco, he was a molecular biologist by training. He approached it from a very, very different angle to how everyone else was trying to solve molecular sensing. He looked at it from a biomimicry approach. How did evolution solve this problem already? Our bodies do molecular monitoring all the time. How does that work? And using those principles, he developed a platform system where you can have, uh, sorry, stepping back a bit, the way our bodies do it, just for your listeners, is, is there's proteins that bind and the conformational change leads to an event. So you may have, the, you know, the transmission of a particular signal, for example, in your brains upon that event. So he used that same principle to have a sensor system where when it binds to the target, it results in an electrochemical signature. And we can measure that electrochemical signature. I love the, the usage of biomimicry research and you're entering the genetic space here and that's not my expertise. So can you tell me a bit more about how these electrochemical signatures work? Right, so, so the sensors are based on what's called um, aptamers. So they're synthetic DNA sequences, uh, which is specific to the target you're trying to bind to. And so when they bind to that target, there's that conformational change and we have a redox species that can um, help us to do the readout. So the, the binding event is specific to the target. It's not to the chemical reactivity, uh, which is how the enzymatic systems work. And on the, on the end of the aptamers, we have a redox species, which allows us to do the readout, uh, to get the signal, the electron transfer signal for electrochemistry. Uh, and then we can use, uh, the, you can use that for the readout. Wow. That is really interesting. That's a really good blend of chemistry and biology there for our listeners. So definitely thanks thanks for that. I, I, out of curiosity, um, where do you guys intend the patch to, to go as, in, as it is a wearable? Where can users expect to be wearing this patch? Yeah, good question. So at the moment, we've been looking at the arm and we've been testing it on the arm. Um, so we anticipate similar to the CGM approach, it would probably be on the upper arm you know, on your shoulder. Um, but it is designed that, you know, we could start to expand that to other locations on the skin, uh, on the body. There's no reason why you couldn't put it anywhere else. We just haven't tested it in that form factor on various uh, locations. And that's important because, you know, skin is not a simple, straight, stainless steel type surface, right? It's, it's, it's a wavy, it's, it, it, you need to have a device that's gonna conform and it's gonna be able to move with the skin. So that's where we, we believe we'll start with the arm and then we'll start to expand out where else we can actually get good uh, measurements uh, on the body. For sure. And my, my next question would be, you guys have, there, there are potential, probably thousands of use cases for, for a device like this. What is the first market you're targeting and why? Yeah. So. Another great question. So look, we, 
when we started to look at the platform, and this is this is a the power and the curse of having a platform, right? You can measure so many different things using this platform, and then the which is great, but at the same time, where do you start? You have to really be laser focused uh, for the first use case and the first market application to demonstrate the technology and and bring that to to life. So we last year during the pandemic we went through a screening exercise where we evaluated over 110 different targets we looked at um, you know the presence of them in isf so that we confirmed the biology we looked at the clinical utility we spoke to a lot of different clinicians in different areas as to what do they regularly measure why do they measure it what's the consensus around what do you do if you have a particular molecule you're measuring and the levels are changing? And then we looked at the market as well. So we went through this very uh, thorough, meticulous screening process, and we narrowed it down to a pipeline of 12 uh, key targets. And we also looked at the technical feasibility of these targets. So these target are targets we can build sensors for. And then digging deeper, we started to look at what's the biggest problem? What's the biggest degree of a problem that we can actually solve? And so that's where we landed on therapeutic drug monitoring, in particular, a drug called vancomycin. And the reason is because this is a very key uh, antibiotic. It mm -hmm. most commonly dosed using IV methods. Um, so there's a study done in 2020 uh, from Catherine Goodman, which is a study of 576 hospitals in the US. And so, you know, they analyzed data from approximately 25 different hospitals. And they found that Amongst that, about 17.4% of patients who admitted to the hospitals received IV vancomycin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a huge statistic and it's, it's commonly given if you have an infection. So you could have sepsis, a gram-positive sepsis infection, and you're being dosed with vancomycin. You know, there's uh, 30 million people who have diabetes. Antibiotics are often commonly used to, uh, to support these patients with infections. This is all US numbers um, that I'm, I'm referring to here. You know, um, there's dialysis, patients on dialysis. So uh, about half a million patients in 2016 received dialysis treatment in the US. Again, if they get an infection, you give them a key antibiotic like vancomycin. Um, similarly, if you're getting chemotherapy, antibiotics are necessary to protect these patients. So that was where, why we started to look at the therapeutic drug monitoring and in particular vancomycin. And the problem that we're solving here for the clinicians is that vancomycin has a very narrow therapeutic window yeah. and it's really, really hard to dose. The way you do it today is you collect a blood concentration levels at certain intervals, say every 12 hours. And you're doing that because you wanna see what's the trot, what's the lowest level of the drug in the patient before you give the next dose. The problem is that you don't always get the true troth conversation uh, uh, values, right? You time it incorrectly, you're gonna get too high a value if you take it too early, the blood draw, or you're gonna get too late. If the blood work isn't back in time, by the time the doctor's there to make the next dosing decision, they're just gonna make the dosing decision um, and they're gonna you know, try and then retroactively catch up when the blood work comes back and it shows a problem. So because of all these issues, often what happens is 50% of the doses recommendations are not in the therapeutic window for the patient. So you're delaying effective treatment or you're giving them too toxic a, a, a drug oh, concentration. Yeah. 
right? And then you're ending up with, with AKI, acute kidney injury. Yeah. And every event of AKI costs the healthcare system approximately an extra $10,000 mm -hmm. or more, depending on how complex it becomes. So is the idea that CMM would be able to pre predict the, the troughs, like the correct troughs, and tell the clinician, well, in 10 minutes at this exact time, give the dose. Is that the idea for your CMM technology? Well, actually, it's, it's far better than that. It gives you the capability to have real-time monitoring of your mm. uh, drug levels. So we, can, we have a sensor specific for vancomycin monitoring. And when you put it on the patient, you start giving them the dose, you put it on the patient, it starts to give you the real-time levels. Mm -hmm. um, and so when the nurse comes or when the doctor comes to give you the next dosage, you can see the area under the curve. You can see when the trot was hit and how fast the concentration have been rising or falling for the patient. It gives you the personalized profile of the drug clearance for that, for that patient. And so you know exactly what, what to do in terms of the next dosage and, and how much is going to be safe and effective for them. Wow, this is, this is really cool stuff, Hitesh. And I'm just wondering, have you guys tested this already? Yeah, yeah. So oh. the, the sensor platform has been tested on body in, in whole blood uh, in animal models mm -hmm. 10 times. So we've shown this working with the inventor of the technology 10 times, actually 12, but, but two are unpublished at this stage. Um, and we have tested our fully integrated wearable system um, on humans in uh, last year. So we actually tested it initially with glucose uh, to make sure that the system works, we can get the signal out to a mobile phone. What we're doing this year is, is integrating this unique biosensing tech into our wearable and we're going to be going for the first in human studies uh, later this year. Gotcha. And I just want to circle back to the uh, sensor, the biosensing technology, because this is this is really um, peaking my engineering brain here. I remember you you mentioned like you have one sensor that can sense the the drug you mentioned. Is it a situation where you have like, how many sensors do you have? I don't know if this is too proprietary or not, but how many sensors do you have? And is it a situation where one sensor has the efficacy to really pick up or quantify um, a specific drug or biomarker? Yeah, so so we have about 12 that we selected in the, in the pipeline, as, as I mentioned, and we have sensors for most of those. Um, there's a fair few, as I mentioned, that have been published and we can bring those to bear in a form factor for measurements in, in human beings. The, the challenge though is, you know, which one do you do first and why? Is it solving a big enough problem? That's where we landed on vancomycin first. And then the second sensor we're working on is a, is a marker, is a sensor for a marker of kidney health. Mm -hmm. And that will allow us to actually say there's 40 odd drugs that are renally cleared and can end up in a acute kidney injury or toxic event uh, for the body. So how do we safely, safely dose these? How do we safely measure these um, um, for a patient? So that's the second sensor we're looking to build. Beyond that, you know, we're building out a robust pipeline yes. of products that we can bring to the market and we're prioritizing those, but it depends on, you know, having often and frequent conversations with the clinicians to understand what's the pull from the market. So when we went through that exercise last year, the one thing that come, kept coming through from all the clinicians we spoke to, this pull from the market mm -hmm. was around 
IV dosing of vancomycin. Yeah. This technology is great. This company is on a mission. So I know summer is upcoming, which means for many students, this is the time you look for an internship, you look for a new mm. job. For someone who loves the mission that Neutromics is on and wants to come along for the ride, are you hiring? What types of skills are people you're looking to add to your team and how should students reach out? Yeah, great. So look, we're always um, looking for talent and we're looking globally, right? So we're, we're quite keen to start to look for technical skills and soft skills, so bioengineering, electrochemistry skill sets, uh, anyone who's worked with Aptima-based systems or, or has a passion in general for what we're doing, our mission and vision uh, in, as a clinician or, or as a student to reach out, absolutely. Um, what we are looking at, at the moment is we're, we're being distributed into the US in Australia in two locations. And we're looking to bring together the engineering and the, and the uh, team working on the device here in Australia. It's a great place to live and work. And then we're going to be expanding out our operations into the US and setting up a formal base there too. So, you know, if anyone's interested to come work with us, um, help be part of this mission, we're always open to having the conversation. Uh, we, we're very collaborative. Uh, we work with multiple different universities in the US, in Australia, in New Zealand, and, and more. Um, so we're always looking for people who, who can help us to deliver this. And should people reach out to link to your page on LinkedIn or should, is there like a hiring process, like uh, official hiring process on your, um, your website? Yeah, so look, reach out on LinkedIn, reach out via email. Um, you can also use our info, but it's probably more personal to just reach out via email and, and via LinkedIn. And I can give you the email details for the show notes. It's H-I-T-E-S-H dot M-E-H ta at neutromics.com.au perfect perfect yeah. and there you go guys i'll link everything in the show notes and honestly this is a great company to work at but hitash before before we wrap this up i like to end things by asking my my audience my my, my guests a really insightful question to really see where they're at and how they gauge different things in the industry and for this one, I want to ask you this. If you could change anything about the healthcare system today, what would it be and why? Ah, <laughs> good question. Um, look, you know, it's, it's what, kind of what started us on, on this mission was the fact that the healthcare system today is, is more geared for reactive sick care versus actual proactive healthcare, right? It's, it's more about wait for someone to get the disease and treat them um, than it is for how do we help keep you healthy for longer. And so that's one thing I wish, you know, would change. And it is going to change. It's coming. It, it's just, I wish it would happen faster than it is. Uh, and that's what started us down this path. You know, I've, I've got family members, I've got friends who, for example, were diagnosed as being pre-diabetic. And the advice given to them was, well, eat less and exercise more. Right. And in reality, the clinicians know that, you know, we'll, we'll just wait. They're not going to be able to do this because it's really, really hard to, to follow that advice with no guidance. Um, and once they become diabetic, that's when they start to get treated. And I'm not saying that the clinicians are doing this on purpose. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's just the way the system is geared. 
because you don't get reimbursed unless someone has a disease and you're helping to treat that disease. Um, the hospital systems are geared to treat someone who's critically sick. Um, prevention is not a key arm of the healthcare system today, and it needs to become a key arm of the healthcare system. I think that's what COVID has really shown us is that if we have a reactive system, we're just going to have poorer patient outcomes. And that I couldn't agree more. Um, the paradigm shift from our current sick care system to a healthcare system would definitely change healthcare for sure. And Hitesh, I just want to thank you for coming on to the Medtocracy podcast today and all the best in your journey at Neutromics with Peter and the team. Thank you, Zion. Thanks for having me. And uh, uh, I hope your listeners enjoy the podcast and they're inspired and they get to actually look at what's happening, what's going to be coming in the future of healthcare. If they want to be part of that, then please reach out to us. Neutromics may very well be the tech to make healthcare more proactive. My favorite takeaway was how CMM tech can be utilized to predict early onset of diseases. This begs the question, who is continuous molecular monitoring for? Is it for high-risk patients, the genetically predisposed, or is the idea that one day we will all be wearing smart patches that are essentially labs on our skin? Which is why I ask, what happens when what if becomes what is? As always, keep med-teching.